Hi, I'm Therese Couture, and welcome to the Embodied Black Girl podcast, a podcast about decolonizing our imagination, healing intergenerationally, and birthing revolutionary work and worlds. Hello, love. Welcome back, or welcome here for the first time if you're just tuning in. We are actually continuing our Diaspora Day series. And in case you're wondering what that is, we recently, actually just a few days ago, hosted a virtual gathering entitled Diaspora Day, which was all about celebrating the brilliance and the beauty of the African diaspora. And it was absolutely beautiful. And we are bringing you the preview of those conversations, those workshops, and those experiences right here on the podcast. Um, So if you look back the past two episodes, the first one was with my dear sister, Natalie Facey, who held a space for us. Um, Healing is in the holding. And then there was an amazing conversation that we had with our dear brother, Dr. Bayo Akumalafe. And it was such a wide and deep conversation about Afrofuturism, about the Anthropocene, about the Afrocene. Really check it out. So we're continuing that conversation today with a workshop that was held by L'Oreal Thompson Payton, who is an award-winning journalist and author of the just-released book, Stop Waiting for Perfect. And she led us in a workshop all around perfectionism and stepping into our big dreams. And we're actually going in the order. The order of the episodes that you see are actually in the order of how we went through the day. So it was a really beautiful change of pace of, okay, so we are talking about a lot of concepts. And yet this is really about surviving within the systems that we live in. So I really love this conversation because over the past so many years, a lot of clients have come to me because they struggle with perfectionism. And this was a really interactive session and L'Oreal led a really powerful exercise as well. And I'm so glad that she wrote this book from the lens of a black woman and talking about, you know, what this means specifically for black women, Um, perfectionism, being the strong black woman. If you can relate, continue listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for being here. We are changing the pace. It's been, there's been so much nourishment this morning, and I'm so grateful that our honored guest, L'Oreal, is here, and we're going to be exploring perfectionism. Um, And L'Oreal also just wrote a book, or the book was just released only a few weeks ago, so she's actually in the midst of um, sharing this book and talking about it. So, and this is a perfect topic in the sense of 
sharing our brilliance because this day is designed for that medicine. And so many of us have medicine. How do we share it? How do we share that brilliance? So if you haven't met L'Oreal before, I want to read a little bit more about her. So L'Oreal Thompson Payton is an award-winning journalist and the author of the just released book, Stop Waiting for Perfect, Step Out of Your Comfort Zone and Into Your Power. Her personal essays, feature stories, and celebrity interviews have been published in esteemed media outlets such as Bustle, Essence, Fortune, Self, Shondaland, and Well and Good, among others. L'Oreal's writing, speaking engagements, and wellness facilitation work pull from her personal struggles with issues such as self-doubt, imposter syndrome, infertility, and postpartum depression to encourage and inspire other Black women to see, trust, and believe in the beauty of who they are at who they are as enough and to and to as we strive to become more than that when she's not busy writing which to be fair isn't often she can usually be found reading on her yoga mat or riding her peloton l'oreal lives just outside of chicago with her very patient husband and brilliant daughter whose laugh lights up her world you can follow her on Twitter or Instagram at LT in the city. We've tagged, you can find it on our Instagram if you have trouble finding it. And Nicole will pop it in the chat. And you can subscribe to her motivational newsletter and listen to her podcast at ltinthecity.com. L'Oreal, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. It sounds like a very, I caught a little bit of the uh, session right before this and it's very very powerful like a really great way positive way to start the day so I'm excited to keep that vibe going yeah I'm excited too and I'm excited to hear about um, your take on perfectionism it's something that so many women over the years have talked to me about and so thank you for being here and I'm going to just give you the floor uh, to share. So thank you for sharing and guiding us. Thank you. I am going to share my screen, make sure everyone can see that. We're good. Thumbs up. Okay, cool. Um, so yes. Hello again. Thank you so much for having me. As Fred mentioned, the book is Stop Waiting for Perfect, Step Out of Your Comfort Zone and Into Your Power. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So a little bit about me, um, recovering perfectionist, first and foremost, that's something that I like to share because even though I wrote a book about it, I'm still very much struggling with it myself, even um, like the night last night trying to put together this presentation and I'm like, oh, it has to be perfect. It's like, no, this is, this is why we're here. <laughs> this is why I wrote the book. And I'm also a freelance journalist. Um, most recently, I was a health and wellness reporter fortune and I do a lot of health wellness and lifestyle writing for a variety of publications as mentioned earlier and live outside of Chicago um, relatively new-ish mom she'll be two next month so I'm uh, in the thick of the toddler years and I will say that 
A, writing this book, but also B, parenting have really challenged my perfectionist tendencies and told me that that, you know, doesn't exist and that is not um, a way forward. So I'm going to get that pop up. Okay. Um, sorry, if my clicking buttons like, I'm not sure why this isn't. Okay, that jumped way too far ahead. So just close your eyes and pretend you didn't see any of that. Okay. <laughs> so about the book, I describe Stop Waiting for Perfect as essentially this pep talk and love letter to all the perfectionists out there, all the overachievers, all the highly ambitious professionals such as myself. And this book, uh, it was quite the evolution, actually. The first idea that I had back in 2015 was for um, the title, working title was The Millennial Manual. And I wanted to capture all of these lessons that I had learned in switching careers, starting side hustle as a freelance writer and then blogger, and just put everything that I had been writing about in my blog um, in one kind of collection. But as it happens, perfectionism got the best of me and that Google Doc just kind of sat there for years and years. And it wasn't until 2017 that I had um, another idea for a book and was thinking about, okay, this time around, um, I want to talk about imposter syndrome. And this was at a time before it was as trendy as it is now. Um, I feel like you can't log on to Twitter without someone talking about imposter syndrome these days, but I wanted to read about it from the perspective of a young black woman because the researchers who came up with the term, um, Pauline Clance and Susan Imes back in the 70s clinical psychologist. Um, and yeah, the working definition I believe is about, you know, people who are high achieving have evidence of this high achieving. And yet for whatever reason, um, they continue to doubt themselves. They question, you know, their talents and their gifts. And I certainly subscribe to that and fall in that bucket, but their research primarily focused on college educated white middle-class women. And that left out the experiences that I knew for myself to be true as a black woman and how it's compounded the imposter syndrome with racism and sexism and all those other isms that exist in the world. So I started writing a book, Trust Your Dopeness, sent out the proposal um, to different agents, got rejected a lot, <laughs> which was a big blow to my self-confidence as you can imagine, but eventually uh, signed a deal back in 2021 and had to changed the title because it was owned by this major global conglomerate and I don't have global conglomerate lawsuit money. So it's very serendipitous how the title came about. I was writing a newsletter about writing the book. So very meta in that way, but I had this vision in my head of how this was all going to go down. Like I'm going to be writing this book in a coffee shop in the window seat and have my oat milk latte with my lo-fi hip hop playing in the background. And it's just going to be very much like Carrie Bradshaw and Sex in the City, but make it black. And that only happened like two or three times throughout the course, the two years of writing and revising this book. A lot of it happened. I was writing in the notes app while breastfeeding my daughter at two o'clock or four o'clock in the morning in the nursery. And if I had waited for that perfect moment to sit down and write this book, we wouldn't be sitting here today because it wouldn't have happened. And so often there is these dreams and goals that all of us aspire to and we tend to put that off, right? Like, oh, I'll wait until the kids are in school. Oh, I'll wait until I save X amount of money. Oh, I'll wait until da-da-da-da-da. And 
what that does is it we think it buys us time, right? And it will like guarantee the successful outcome if I wait till I have all of my proverbial ducks in a row. And what happens is that moment doesn't exist because perfection doesn't exist. There's never going to be that perfect moment to go after your dreams. And so what I hope in this book and what I share is that it inspires you to, you know, yes, weigh all of the pros and cons. Yes, save enough money to take, you know, smart risk and do this even if you're afraid, even if you're scared, because perfectionism is a lie. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but it doesn't exist. And if you keep waiting on it, you're going to be waiting for years, decades, the rest of your life. I see someone's like, yes, the notes app is where it's at. Listen, I've tried Asana. I've tried Trello. I've tried every project management system under the sun. And the notes app is just, that's where the magic is. (laughs) So going to the next page. What is perfectionism and how does it impact us? So actually on this page, I want to read for you a little bit from the book. This is the introduction, actually the preface um, to kind of set up the scene and what we're dealing with here and a little bit about my background in perfectionism. So the chapter or this title is called Peloton Perfectionism and Me. To better understand my lifelong relationship with perfectionism, One needs to look no further than the day I lost my 685-day blue dot Peloton streak. For the uninitiated, a blue dot is awarded each time you log in and complete a workout. In fact, it's part of what attracted me to the popular fitness bike and program in the first place. As a child who thrived on earning gold stars and was a lifetime honor roll student and a permanent fixture on the perfect attendance roll or list, receiving a virtual trophy for working out appealed to my inner perfectionist. While the infamous leaderboard, which tracks each member's pace throughout the workout, appealed to my fiercely competitive side. While I'm sure the reward system, which in addition to the blue dots includes badges for completing special classes and reaching milestones is intended to motivate users, I developed an unhealthy fixation on earning my blue dot each and every day. So much so that I'd often break into a mild panic if it was nearing midnight and I hadn't yet logged a meditation, cycling class, or yoga session for the day. I can't tell you the number of times I've listened to Chelsea Jackson Roberts guided meditations while brushing my teeth or sitting on the toilet, which I'm very sorry, Chelsea, but you know, I love you. Anything to collect my coveted blue dot. To me, the blue dots represented more than a workout. They had become a symbol of my self-worth. Here with my perfect streak, I could prove that I was a good virtuous person. It represented the impossibly high standard I set for myself in my exercise goals, but also in the rest of my life. I took care of myself by working out every day in addition to being the perfect wife, daughter, sister, and friend, not to mention being an award-winning journalist, aspiring author, and motivational speaker. And I felt I couldn't break my Peloton streak because it would mean I had failed in all these other areas too. It was okay for everyone else to be human, to make mistakes, to falter, to fall from grace, And I often reminded people of that in my writing and my talks, but not me, never me. I had to be perfect in every way at all times. My lifelong pursuit of perfection, perhaps like many of you, well, listening to this right now, dates back to grade school. At a young age, I realized that getting good grades and receiving awards garnered positive attention from adults. And I grew addicted to this attention, seeking to obtain it by any means necessary. Anything less than an A wasn't good enough. 
I became so obsessed with my straight A standing that I let it define me at the expense of my own well-being, which, spoiler alert, isn't something that just went away when my school days were over. Feeling under the weather didn't matter. I couldn't let anything jeopardize my perfect attendance record. I could never rest. I had to keep my star student status come hell or high water. And I'm not the only one. Brittany, a 32-year-old woman from Skokie, Illinois, says she learned the importance of perfection at a young age due to her religious upbringing. I left my homework on the bus and remember being so scared, shaking and crying that I wouldn't be able to get the work done, she recalled. My mom called the teacher to give her a heads up and my teacher was like, that's extra credit and she already has lots of extra credit. I just felt that no matter how much work I did, it would never be enough. It would never be enough, which for many of us translates to, I will never be enough enough. It's a simple word and yet it carries so much weight, so much importance, this idea of meeting demands and expectations. It's a lot of pressure for anyone, let alone a small child. And yet that's where many of us are confronted with this notion of being enough, of being perfect for the first time. So that's a bit of my story about perfectionism. Those of you who have Pelotons can maybe also relate or Duolingo app I know has a streak um, function to it, the Bible app. <laughs> I was looking this morning and I lost mine like after two weeks and there's all of this like gamification in the apps that we use and how our world is constructed. Even my Apple watch, you know, they encourage you to go, 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 go all the time. It doesn't allow for your full humanity. It doesn't allow for sick days and mental health days and caring for a loved one. And that's just not reality like perfection again does not exist and chasing these streaks and closing all the circles and everything like that is just like aspirational but it can be um unhealthy as well like and later in the chapter <laughs> i talk about how i was doing the um listening to a meditation on the way to the hospital to have the c-section to deliver our daughter and doing once i got the clearance from the doctors you know like walking around the hospital halls unhealthy obsession and when I lost the streak like a month after she was born and we had been running around the doctor's appointments and it just wasn't top of mind because life was happening I cried real tears <laughs> in losing this 600 something day streak and that's when I realized like mm, girl you may have a problem <laughs> with perfectionism and to define it this is from I think the American Medical Association or Psychological Association but perfection is a cocktail of excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. So I just want you to drop a little raise hand emoji <laughs> if any of that applies to you. Um, some signs of perfectionism include all or nothing thinking, uh, which I certainly fell susceptible to um, when I was crying <laughs> that morning when I realized at 12.01 a.m. that I hadn't um, logged a workout in that day. Um, I thought, okay, you know, it's over. I did all of this hard work over the last two years and it doesn't matter because I lost my streak. And thanks to therapy, I was able to recognize, okay, like what was going on here? What was the kind of backstory that was happening? And I wrote about this for Well and Good and my editor even had challenged me. She was like, what was it about Peloton <laughs> specifically that was just like, really you know had a hold on you and at the time my bike was delivered it was january 2020 and we all know what happened in march of 2020 but in addition to a global pandemic my husband and i had also started what we would 
later learn would be several rounds of IVF to conceive our daughter. And when the world around me was literally falling apart, Peloton, like logging into this app, doing the workouts, getting on the bike was a thing that I could control when the rest of the world was falling apart. And there's nothing perfectionists love more than control. Um, but it isn't real, right? Because as I learned when I lost my streak, like that doesn't mean anything. And I had, because of school, because of the way that I was raised and being, you know, a straight A student coupled my worth with my work and my productivity and my workouts and everything like that. And it took losing that streak and realizing, again, shout out to therapy, um, that I'm still a good person. I am still deserving of love and respect and every good thing. And that my worth isn't determined or dictated by the work that I put out in the world. Um, perfectionists, we're also highly critical of not only ourselves but other people as well, especially our loved ones. And that is something I also realized in therapy and couples therapy with my husband, because um, I would, you know, we lash out at those who are closest to us, unfortunately, a lot of times. And it's like, I have these really high, unrealistic, you'll see as the next part, um, standards for myself. And that was seeping into my relationships and how I interacted with other people as well, which is unhealthy. Perfectionists also have an extreme fear of failure. Um, there have been so many times and why I procrastinated, which is the next point <laughs> in writing this book, because if it wasn't going to be perfect, then there was no point in me writing it. I put so much pressure on myself because a I wanted to make sure that you know my editors and the publisher would like not rescind their offer or regret giving me a book deal in the first place and because I want to do a really good job for the black women authors who are coming after me there aren't a ton of us in publishing so I also put that pressure on myself to make sure you do a good job so that it creates opportunities not only for yourself but those who are coming after you, which Shonda Rhimes has written about um, a lot of times in, uh, or in her book rather, what's it called? Year of Yes, in her memoir. And that um, notion of being, you know, one of the first or this person who's doing that. And we see it time and time again, Stacey Abrams, um, Kamala Harris, like all of these black women who are the first. And so it's that additional pressure to make sure that you're paving the way for those who are coming after you. Um, but perfectionism to, you know, paraphrase the famous comedian is a hell of a drug <laughs> and it has its pitfalls as well. So I will say this, not all of it is on us. Um, there are many reasons why perfectionism exists, especially in black women. Um, you can trace it back to societal pressures, systemic racism, internalized beliefs. And over the course of this workshop, we're going to look at some ways to explore together and come up with some exercises that you can tap into when you need that as well. But before I get into that part, I want to share another excerpt from the book with you. And this is from chapter two, which is called Twice as Good. In the season three opener of Scandal, Olivia Pope's father, brilliantly and dramatically played by Joe Morton, scolds her for sleeping with the president of the United States. Beyond that, he delivers the monologue to end all monologues, 
and gets to a model that Black women have heard on repeat since the day we left the womb. You have to be twice as good to get half of what they have. It was the first time I heard the method I'd been subconsciously applying to my own life and career summarized so eloquently. I felt seen. In a 2013 article for Salon, journalist Neil Drumming wrote of the episode, notice the them and the they, that's, that's white folks. The you is every black kid who has ever bought home a bad grade or failed to study hard enough for a test being told by their concerned parents that they might never succeed if they don't work harder and smarter than their white peers. It's yet another case of perfectionism rearing its ugly head. This time out of what's historically been deemed a social necessity for black people living in America. While my sister or my parents never uttered Papa Pope's exact words to me and my sister, the sentiment was certainly felt. And the assignment was both understood and taken to heart. It's a black girl rite of passage, a mantra, if you will, passed down from generation to generation. There's this universal understanding that you have to be perfect, there's that word again, to even be considered for something that your white peers would take for granted having access to. This idea, or rather mandate, that we need to be better than our counterparts can undoubtedly fuel self-doubt and is a one-way ticket to burnout. Don't worry, we'll talk more about burnout and how to prevent it and overcome it in a later chapter. Because working twice as hard, oftentimes without reward, financial or otherwise, has physical, mental, and emotional repercussions. And much like a video game with each level you unlock, there are more and more monsters to conquer. Black women are often taught through experience and observations that it's not enough to be good. We often have to be excellent to even step foot in the room. And even then, black women may still be treated as inadequate by their peers, explains Dr. Lincoln Hill, licensed clinical psychologist and founder of the Center for Liberation and Wellness in Chicago. I imagine the concept of working twice as hard to get half as much developed as a survival strategy and an acknowledgement that excellence won't fully protect us or get us what we've earned. It's dehumanizing, but it's the reality for most of us. It's a phenomenon Hill wrote about in her 2019 article for Zora Magazine about why imposter syndrome is worse for Black women. And as I mentioned before, Clance and Imes' original research around imposter syndrome largely, largely centered on college-educated white women who were middle to upper class and they fail to account for the gendered and racialized component to imposter syndrome that Black women often face. Black women are at the intersection of gender and racial oppression. As a consequence, many successful Black women are in academic and professional environments that minimize their value and deservedness, says Hill. It's easy to feel like an imposter when people consistently treat you like an imposter despite your successes. Many, and certainly not all, Black women may begin to question if they are the problem, and they might try to fix this by working twice as hard as others. In reality, the problem is the society that devalues us. And I just want to drop, you know, have y'all drop a 100 emoji in the chat if you can relate, if you've ever found yourself working twice as hard to get half as much as your white peers. Um, I think it's very timely that we're talking about this today. Um, because earlier in the week, I read about the Temple University president, um, Dr. Epps, I believe was her name, who died while giving a speech at an event for the college. And I think it was a memorial for another Black professor or someone who was involved in the university. Uh, I don't remember every detail about it, but the takeaway I read in the article was that she had wanted to retire, was planning to retire, 
didn't want to be in this interim position, but you know, as black women, we often do take one for the team and the show went on, you know, despite what was happening with her. And that was such a wake up call for me. And I have seen it time and time again throughout my career, but these jobs don't love you. (laughs) Um, They will take and take and take and take and take. And that is the expectation for black women, especially because heaven forbid we ever push back or we say no, then we're deemed problematic or we're angry. And now we're a problem and we have, we're a problem that needs to be solved. Right. And they want to get rid of us. I'm just uh, going through the chat too, to check out some of the, um, comments but yeah it's it's real it's real and I'm seeing all the hundreds and the monologue it is a powerful I almost embedded it in the um (laughs) into the presentation so we could all watch again because it's just that powerful like that was the monologue like I said to end all monologues and um yes the memorial that was taking place and it's just I think about it all the time and I think it was like an Instagram meme or I saw it on LinkedIn or something but it's like these jobs, like they will suck the life out of you, literally, like in your job description, like the posting for your role will be up before your obituary because that's just how she, or how they move. And so, um, and yes, there is certainly a generational aspect of this. And I am an elder millennial, I would consider myself. Um, I'll be 36 next month. And I have watched this happened to the women before me. My mom, she's still with us, but like worked her ass off for years, decades, just retired last November. And I saw I had a first row seat to the stress that the job that she had like held on her. And I see it as my responsibility to kind of break that generational um I don't even know what to call it. Like, I guess trauma for lack of a better word, but just like of this overworking, overworking, you have to be perfect. And I want to show my daughter a different way of being. And Gen Z certainly like is doing a phenomenal job of um, pushing back against the status quo. I feel like the pandemic started to help with some of that, but then we're all in this, you know, return to office and it's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot happening, <laughs> but I am appreciative that we are talking openly about wellness and self-care and how to um, care for ourselves in these moments, in these careers and leave them when they are no longer serving us. I wrote a story for Fortune last year about the um, glass cliff that tends to take place, especially summer 2020. And we all know what's happening in summer 2020 with the little black squares and all of these industries trying to, you know, make better because of the racial reckoning that was taking place. And um, I guess they thought it was going to end racism or something. Obviously it didn't. Um, but there were intentions. I won't say they were good because I think some of them were just, you know, like trying to save face. But these companies that hired black women into leadership positions with no resources, no mentorship, no sponsorship, no, like not setting them up for success, but they could point and be like, look how diverse we are. We have a black woman CEO. There's a black woman on our board. And they were set up to fail. It was this glass cliff where it's like, finally, yeah, you're promoted into the C-suite position. But if you're not given the resources that you need and the time 
Um, that's the other thing. I think some of these women were brought in and expected to turn around these sinking ships within like six months. And that's just an unfair standard. Again, the twice as hard, half as much than we you know, see in some of our counterparts. I look at Adam Newman, who founded WeWork, for example, ran the company into the ground and disappears for a little while, comes back rewarded with millions of dollars to start a new company. Black women historically do not get that chance. You don't get the, um, the, the second chances and the grace and the room to make mistakes, to be imperfect, right? We have to show up perfect at all times in order to succeed, in order to get ahead. And I've had enough. <laughs> the women that I wrote about in the story, the glass cliff had also had enough and they decided that their mental health and their happiness, their families, their life outside of work was more important than what they were doing day in and day out at their jobs. And I honestly applaud them for that. Um, and it inspired me as well, because I recently quit my job um, earlier this month because of burnout and going back to freelance writing and kind of forging my own path um, in that route. But I'll be lying if I said it's not scary, right? Because that's not like the blueprint. No one in my family has done this before. So I'm kind of like making it up as I go. And I know that my mental health and my well-being is worth it. It's worth taking that risk. Um, I saw this part in a study that I was um, looking at when I was researching for the book, but talks about this mantra, this idea, and we've alluded to it so far in this um, presentation, but just to name it, that strong Black woman is a mantra for so much a part of the U.S. culture that it is seldom realized how great a toll it has taken on the emotional well-being of the African-American woman. As much as it may give her the illusion of control, it keeps her from identifying what she needs and reaching out for help. And I can certainly relate to this, right? My mom's a strong black woman who came from a strong black woman who came from a strong black woman, right? It's passed down, it is generational, it's hereditary. It is the, the gift and the curse that keeps on giving. And what it doesn't allow for though is our full humanity. It doesn't allow for weakness and vulnerability because we have to show up and be perfect at all times. And that's a lot of pressure and that's also not reality. And I was confronted with this head on. Um, it was last fall, I believe it was right around the time that our daughter turned one. And typically my husband handles the bedtime routine. I'll nurse her and then he takes over and it's all good. But he was at an event that night and I was like, I got this, I can do this. And like Morgan Freeman narrated my life was like, she would soon learn that she could not do this. <laughs> and we were just both frustrated, right? Like I would put her down in the crib and she would climb back up and then we'd put her down again. She'd climb back up. He came home to both of us crying, me and the baby. And he took over, calmed her down. I went into our room and cried. Um, I texted one of my mom friends. It was like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I was just like, Dora, I don't know if I'm cut out for this mom life. And she was like, uh, first of all, it's too late. <laughs> And second of all, you are. And she stayed on the phone with me for like the next half hour, just talking me off the ledge, reminding me that I'm doing a good job, encouraging me, like really pouring into me. And the next day on Instagram, I logged in and I'd seen our real estate agent actually um, had just had another little girl. She had two, uh, has two little ones. 
and her husband was gone for two week business trip and she remodeled the home office and did all of this stuff. And I was feeling really bad about myself because I was like, here she was like two weeks <laughs> and I could barely survive two hours on my own. And, um, you know, recognizing too, I reminded myself she has help. Like she lives near family. My husband's from Ohio. I'm from Maryland. We're in Illinois by ourselves. Um, so there's different circumstances, right? It's like comparing apples and oranges, but at the time when I'm looking at her Instagram stories and I remind everyone that social media is a highlight reel and where we often get ourselves in trouble is comparing that highlight reel to our behind the scenes. And so my behind the scenes was crying the night before trying to get my daughter to sleep and she would not. And also like still dealing with the ebbs and flow of postpartum depression and anxiety. Like we were a year out at the time that she was born. So I thought I should be over it, right? Like there's this time period or like time limit rather I had in my head about how long it was acceptable to have postpartum depression and anxiety when like postpartum is forever. I'm always going to be postpartum and I was able to seek out help and find a new therapist who specialized in that and infertility and is a black woman who takes my insurance. So it was just like a blessing um, all around. Shout out to therapy for black girls. But I got on Instagram myself later and like was just sharing about how hard it was and how much I was struggling, which I hadn't done before, because especially given our fertility story, I had it in my head that I had to be grateful at all times for every single moment of parenting. And that's just not true. <laughs> that's not reality. That's not being very kind to myself and my experience. It doesn't allow me to express my full humanity. But what happened with me being vulnerable in that moment immediately friends were DMing me. It's like, Hey, do you need me to come over this weekend and help with the baby? Hey, like, let me know when you and Jeff need a babysitter. And I got you when I was vulnerable and admitted that I needed help. My people <laughs> surrounded me and came to my rescue and I accepted it. I had just reached such a low point that I had no choice, but to accept their help and their generosity. And something that I'm working on now is being more proactive about asking for help before things get really bad. But that is hard for a recovering perfectionist because it's admitting to the world and to my friends that I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I'm not the strong black woman that it may seem I am on social media and I need help. There's so much strength in vulnerability, but I think as Black women, that has been weaponized against us, right? We've been conditioned not to be, like, show any signs of weakness because it could be used against us, and historically it has been. And that is a preview of the workshop that L'Oreal held for us. The workshop is 90 minutes long, and it is part of our Embodied Black Girl Diaspora Day collection. And you can head over to diasporaday.com if you're interested in the collection. And if you are, it will also support our work um, and allow us to create more experiences like this one and more. So your support really means so much. So if you want to get access to this workshop and all the other offerings at Diaspora Day, head over to diasporaday.com. I hope you enjoyed this and thank you for being here and I will see you next time. 
Thank you for listening, beloved. I want to personally invite you to join our free podcast community over at embodiedblackgirlpodcast.com. And when you do, you'll receive a beautiful bonus, which includes one of my favorite practices all around boundaries. And if you loved this episode, it would mean so much to us if you shared it and left a review. It helps folks to find us and lets us know what's resonating with you. And of course, be sure to subscribe. Thank you to Beautiful Chorus for our gorgeous theme song. And thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Listen to your own inner voice. Hey, queen. Ooh, you know what you.